You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. How limber do I look right now? Um, Not very limber at all. How about now? Now you look like you got no bones. I'm limber. And that makes me feel a little uncomfortable when you do that, and I don't know why. It's the eye contact. That's part of, that's part <laughs> of the issue. You were really looking at me in the eye when you were rolling those shoulders. That's, that's got to be it. Why are you so limber, Bracken? I've been doing so much mobility trying to get this back under control. And I'd say the back is under control, but it's not leaving. So I'm super loose, super limber, and I no longer think it's a back issue. I think it's purely nerve. And Kirk, I'm going to sound like a tinfoil hat guy, but I think this is COVID. Hmm. Right after Lisa got COVID, she had weird nerve stuff shooting down her left leg. She thought she had a calf or a soleus issue. And then it would move to her hip. And then it would shoot to the right side. It was, And it eventually became clear that it was nerve. And then a week and a half later, mine started. And it started with weird stuff. Like the, I felt like I had a razor burn on the back of my neck or my head. That's like that feeling is what it felt like. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't have anything there. And it would come and go. And then my back had this flare up. Like I've had that issue before. But this is manifesting different. And all the things that usually fix it. I've done and the accompanying like, release I get from it is there. Now my lower back and hip are not tight anymore, but this nerve thing's still going on. The other day I, for four hours, it felt like I had something stuck to the bottom of my foot. Like you step on a piece of crumb on the ground or something mm-hmm. when you're barefoot. It felt like that, but there was nothing there all evening. It felt like that. Like I'm just getting weird nerve stuff all over my body and I've never had this before. And we both had it post-COVID. And I'm hearing other people that I've talked to that are like, yeah, I've had some weird nerve stuff since COVID. So I don't know for sure that that's what it is, but I have nothing else to point at. Hmm. It's very strange. It's a little disconcerting, but at the same time, it's not injury, so it doesn't feel real. But it's bizarre. Yeah. You know, you are getting older. However, I don't know if those correlate. But that doesn't explain phantom nerve stuff you know we talked to matt fitzgerald and he's what he calls a covid long hauler your chronic fatigue syndrome post covid uh weird lingering things you know if you are let's say you lose your your sense of taste and smell really what that is it's a neurological issue right it it, it is Uh, olfactory of course as well but i think the root of all these weird goofy juju tin hat stuff post-COVID is probably the result of increased bodily inflammation, whatever whatever happened from that viral load and the impact afterwards. And when you have inflammation, you begin to feel weird symptoms and pain and who knows how it manifests. Everybody's sort of weak point, uh, you know, their cracks in the foundation come out a little quicker. And so I think it's an inflammation issue um, for all these weird symptoms because I've heard it from my athletes too, just bizarre stuff for like sometimes weeks or months and that's all you can really point the finger at, right? Yeah. Unless it's a nerve attacker specifically, but I, I don't know what research is on that. Well, and you know how your phone listens to you and whatever you're talking about, your suggested news articles pop up about that? I've had several pop up now about long-term nerve-related issues based off of even mild COVID symptoms. 
So at the beginning, it was if you are a big COVID response, it's likelihood you're going to have other things. And now this morning, I read one that was mild COVID symptoms still linked to long-term nerve whatever. And mm. So maybe I don't want to read too far into it, but like I can't, I can't identify what's going on. But anyway, I played basketball this morning. I'm still limber. My back didn't get worse. So I feel like I'm back training wise, but I'm still getting weird stuff. I lay down at night and my quad pulses and then I'll get burning in my right butt cheek. And then like sometimes mm. my left ankle have like a little twitch in there. These are not, not things I've ever had before. It's weird. I think the old crumb foot would really would really bug me. Nothing's worse than having a little piece of something in your sock or stepping on something. Yeah. That that feeling right there would be enough to drive me into the loony bin, Bracken. Like four or five times, I sat down, pulled my foot up in front of my face, and looked at it like, there has to be something here. I felt like a crazy person. <laughs> well, you are, and it's okay. Maybe. Like a fox. Uh, foxes aren't crazy. Foxes are cute. That's a phrase. Crazy like a fox. I don't know where it comes from. I think it is. Um, Listen, guys, you're getting stuck with this again today. We spent the last 55 minutes trying to get an interview with Leon Kofed to work. And for some reason, uh, we couldn't get things to line up. And because we're not full professionals, we're like semi-professionals. And we don't always record these things far enough ahead of time or have proper, you know, default plans if technology fails us. Our default plan is to bullshit with each other for an episode and hopefully you get something out of it and maybe answer a few questions along the way. It's a beautiful plan. It really is. I like chatting with you anyways, Bracken. So just so you know, we weren't sandbagging you or button hooking you thinking we'd had a Friday episode because we did have it lined up and poof, it's gone. So here it is. I would never sandbag or button hook this audience. No, that would be rude. Wouldn't you? I would sandbag them. Not button-hooking them. That button-hook them, that's an asshole that's move if, sure. you, if you didn't talk about it beforehand. That's a shot to the back of the noggin right there without expecting it. No button-hooking. we got a big, big weekend of racing ahead of us, Kirk. Savage race. Savage race. Saturday and Sunday live broadcast. I'll be commentating with Matt B. Davis. And then Saturday evening at, I believe, 7, 10 p.m. Eastern time, the Tokyo Marathon, which is one of the what is it, six world marathon majors is is being broadcasted. And Eliud Kipchoge, for the first time ever, is entered in that race. He's trying to sweep the world marathon majors. He has half of them. So he's going to go over there, and there's a ton of stud Ethiopians there. There's someone in the race who's run 202 in a marathon, and no one knows their name. That Not no one, but like in the U.S., most people don't know their name. That's how good marathoning is these days. So Eliud Kipchoge has a 202 guy and a bunch of 203 204 guys and they're going to throw down tomorrow evening so you got a full plate of racing if you want to if you want to watch where can we find this race live do you know if anywhere i don't know live i as you talk i can look it up right now all right do you know well as you're looking this up hopefully you can think too um do we know tokyo's fast and flat i mean that portion of the country is pretty flat so i assume this is an option or an opportunity to run fast is that true it can't be a slow course tokyo generally has good times and the japanese are famous for putting like 20 30 guys sub 212 in these races so Mm -hmm. i mean they're studs but it's also seems conducive to fast running and what is the marathon world record non one 201 in change 201 39 i want to say 
I will double check that. If we have a 159 marathoner, granted there's a you know an asterisk by it, and Eli Kipchoge, and then having a 202 true marathoner, and I think Eliud's a 202 marathoner himself, right? He went 201.39 as the official record, and then okay, now I might be a few seconds off, but then Bekele, Kenanisa Bekele went 201.41. He missed it by two seconds, I think. Yeah. So point being is that if this is a fast, flat race and you have the right competition and maybe the stars align and the winds blow in the right direction for most of the course, Mm -hmm. you never know what could happen in this race. So it might be worth paying attention to. Yeah, we could see the marathon record go down or we could see that this is the end of an era for the greatest marathoner of all time. Well, according to my Instagram stalking, you know how Instagram does these suggested, you know, posts all the time now in your home feed? Mm-hmm. Elliot Kipchoge, in a recent, you know, group setting quality workout in this past week, basically left all of these sub-205 marathoners in his wake in an interval workout, um, and it was documented, and he was, you know, out front by 20 meters while the pack was behind him for pretty much all of these pacing efforts. Uh and all these guys were saying this is some of the best workouts they've run in their lives. And here is Eliud still just alone out front against guys who have run, you know, 2-0. So my assumption would be that he's in the right shape to still be the Eliud Kipchoge we know. So end of an era is not likely is what I'm saying. It's not. Now he has to age at some point. It has to, even the greatest has to drop off at some point. And he's had one bad marathon in his life. And it was the last marathon he ran before the Olympics. He got beat. And, you know, afterwards it had like said he had an ear infection or something and was dizzy and whatever. That had never happened before. So the recency bias says he's ready to drop off. But then he won the the Olympic marathon convincingly. So this will be a good kind of indicator of what do we have to let him go yet? Or can we still just watch true greatness for another few years? How old is Eliud? 38? He's got to be right around there. Yeah. Late 30s, yeah. Yeah, I like to think him and I are the same age for some reason. I've heard him say the same thing. About me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, him and I are tight. So I looked it up. 201.39 is indeed the record. So we've had two people sub 202, several people at 202. And uh, for streaming it in the U.S., it's on flow track, which means you have to pay for it. But if you're international or you happen to have a VPN that says you're international, Eurosport and ESPN, probably BT Sport are all going to stream it. Okay, there you go. How does one get a non-US VPN? Well, a VPN gives you a digital, an, an IP address of whatever, wherever you want it to give you. So not that I would go on a podcast and say you should illegally stream things, but there are a lot of good reasons to have a VPN. If you happen to use it for the greater good and evil purpose of live streaming uh, the Tokyo Marathon by pinging your IP address into like Great Britain or something, that that would be on you. Okay. We might have to have a talk after we wrap this up, Bracken, about how to go about that. Off air. I think we can do that. I won't endorse it. Do as I say, not as I do. You also do that, and you just said it. Well, that, I do it, but do as I say, not as I do. I said I wouldn't endorse someone using it for those purposes. Hmm, but there's a sarcastic undertone. I don't think I could be any more clear about this. Yeah. (laughs) Don't ever do that unless you really want to watch the race. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. What do you think about Savage Race this this upcoming weekend? We we did get to chat with Leon about his thoughts on the race off mic while we were trying to dick around with getting this to work. 
So we just were talking about Savage Race. And for those of you, like I know those who listen, you know, the the volume of participants in Savage Race is significantly lower than that of like a Spartan Race or, a you know, playing the mud with your friends, Tough Mudder. Um, but like there needs to be more emphasis put on the Savage Race Elite Series because it's the real deal this year and it's worth talking about more than ever, right? In my opinion. So people are coming out to play. There's money on the line. It draws better competition. We're starting to like breach the point of the Spartan U.S. National Series. Maybe, you know, a third of the people will show up that would show up to like a Spartan U.S. National Series race, but that's still a lot of good competition. So we got some players showing up. Yeah, and this is their first time putting on a series with cash payouts and point series, all that. And the first race is tomorrow, and it is stacked. I would say that this field tomorrow is as good as probably half the U.S. National Series that we've seen in the past. It's probably eight names deep of all people that could win it and could go out in place in a U.S. National Series race for a Spartan. So it's the deepest field we've ever seen. And with Savage Race, it's obstacle obstacly difficult you have to be good at hanging obstacles there's a lot of rigs they have tricky rigs difficult rigs long rigs you have to release at some point lache from point to point so it requires real obstacle skills and in the past that's played out big in spartan race i mean in savage race but there's often gaps they're going to be a ton of studs together and that means that the obstacles then make or break the race in the moment rather than having like this delayed chain reaction down the line. And that'll be really fun to watch. Who do we all have showing up that you know of? Uh, allegedly Woods, Sean Roberts, Nick Riker, Leon Kofed. Who else do we have on the men's side? Ryan Kempson. Uh, Ryan Aaron Kempson. Um, Alvaro, Alvaro. Air Force Ken. I believe we have Jordan McDougal. Okay. Aaron Newell, James yeah. Zoich. We got at least eight eight potential winners. Yeah. Well, Ryan Woods has won a U.S. National Series race on multiple occasions and has a ton of and in, in top five in the world. Aaron Newell is an all-around stud. Riker just proved that he's as fit and as good as people say he could be. Ryan Kempson has a world championship under his belt and multiple U.S. National podiums and a win or two. Two wins? Uh, Leon is internationally, you know, as good as it gets on shorter courses and his obstacle proficiency is really good. And Jordan McDougall has been a team USA mountain runner and Alvaro is obviously fast. Air Force Ken is as seasoned as it gets on these obstacles. And then the female side, we have Ida, Chris Roglowski, Miranda Kilpinski. Uh, let's see who else do we have in there in terms of big name, Chrissy McFarland's in there. Rachel Waters is in there. And let's see who else might be in there. Jamie Horianopoulos, I believe. Okay. What are they putting up for prize money? I don't know. Hmm. It's either 800 or 1000 for first place. Then it goes down from there. Not bad. Enough to Not make bad. it worth your trip. Anyway, deepest field we've ever seen. And you're commentating that uh, tomorrow morning. Where can people see and watch that live in case they want to uh, know? Oh. ORM or Savage Race, I actually don't know which – they might cross-promote it, but it'll probably be on one of their two, the YouTube channel and their Facebook. Okay. But I'll, I'll post up about it as soon as I know. So by the time you're listening to this, I'll have a post up most likely. All right, and I was told that uh, that Woodsy will be running the series again this year, even though he had 
retired, so to speak. I was told this. Now, it could be misinformed, but I think there was some frustration with not getting to Abu Dhabi and flights canceled or not being able to get over because of something. And I think he wants another trip around the sun with with the series. That was what I was told, not from him. So correct me if I'm wrong, but if he's showing up to Savage Race already – and he's racing big races out of the gates. It's looking like like he'll be around, which I, I would like to see. Yeah, it's good for us. It's good for the sport. It's good for him. He's fit. You know, he's running workouts with Sean Roberts. He said he's as fast as he's been since his 20s. He can't squander that. No. Nope. Who knows how many years he have left. you got to use it. So I'm glad to hear that he's thinking about putting the, putting the shoes back on. Mm-hmm. You know who I wish would put the shoes back on? Hobie Call. I supposedly is, I believe. No, Bracken Cracker in the mud with his friends. First of all, I'm going to say it's Crocker, not because of you, but because you say it so often jokingly, you never say it the other way. People actually think that's my last name now. I'm sorry. They think it's Cracker. And I know it's funny to you and it's funny to me, but I now have people confused. So from time to time, I'm going to repeat that it's Crocker just to undo your dastardly deeds. Yeah, well, people were calling me Kurt in Jacksonville. (laughs) <laughs> jokingly or seriously jokingly good however <laughs> that makes me happy that warms my heart it should all right well um do we want to um jump into it we have this like never ending pool of questions that get sent our way and we never do them justice because they sit in our queue forever and by the time we get to them this person's window has already passed as far as like actually helping them in the moment. Yeah. And so I think we should get to these, some of these questions. And if we deviate once in a while by bullshitting along the way, we deviate once in a while by bullshitting along the way. What do you think? Can I deviate right now? I would prefer it actually. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I, I have one last thing I want to say about Eliud Kipchoge. Okay. I'm a, I know I'm hyperbolic sometimes where I talk as things are greater than they are. Like I get really excited about races and this is going to be a great race to watch. But when I say he's the greatest of all time, I really mean that. And there's stats behind that. He's won all but two marathons. I think he's ever entered maybe one and he has the world record and he's won two Olympics in a row. He just has it all. Maybe three, three Olympics in a row. I believe he's a three time reigning Olympic marathon champion. He was a 1250 two maybe 5k runner before moving up to the marathon he's just all around stud but to put into perspective his greatness i think it's important to remember that the people who have been talked about being the greatest of all time at some point they do drop off and people miss usually the end of their career they don't take it as if it's about to be the end and they miss out on their chance to watch them one last time you know the 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 generation above me all has their story of they had one more chance to watch michael jordan live they didn't take it And then the next thing they knew, he was retired or with the Wizards and a shell of himself. You know, Tiger Woods, people expected him to be there forever. And suddenly he just wasn't himself anymore. There are very few people in the history of sport who you bet on them versus the field. And I think that's usually the sign of greatness. When there's betting at the start of a tournament or a championship series or a race or competition, and the big bet is the debate, do you bet on everybody else or the one person? And Tiger Woods was the first golfer in a long time to have that. Well, Eliud Kipchoge is one of probably single-digit athletes ever that it's been smart smart money for almost a decade to bet on him versus Mm -hmm. the field. And we're going to see that come to an end soon. And so the fact that he's doing it again this Saturday means – and with marathoning, he only races twice a year. So – 
as he's aging, you really don't have many guaranteed opportunities to watch him. And that's why I wanted to make sure that people, if they have any interest at all, they tune in because he's up there with the Jordan, the um, the Tiger Woods, the who else would you throw up in the greatest of all time in, in different sports? The old Brett Favre. <laughs> it could be Brett Favre. <laughs> You know, Lionel Messi, the people that you won't see ever again, anyone ever like this. The Tom Brady. This is one of those. I agree with you there. And I bet you they'll throw it up on YouTube. Somebody will rip it and throw at least some of it up there afterwards if worst case scenario, let's hope, right? Yeah, in a marathon doesn't sound, if you've never watched one, it doesn't sound like must view activity. It doesn't sound interesting, but this is something worth paying for to me. Because if, if there was ever a slow, uninteresting, tedious, two-hour, like, edge-of-my-seat event, this is it. Watching someone run for two hours doesn't sound interesting, but for some reason, a high-end marathon can keep a fan of running on the edge of their seat the entire time. Because you're mm-hmm. always waiting on the break. You're always trying to read into what's happening. And it's it's fascinating to watch. So even if it's behind a paywall, this is one of the things that I'm willing to pay for because I won't have many of these left in my lifetime. Yeah, you get some good commentators. Boston's always worth the worth the squeeze, I feel like, because they do a good job with it. You understand the inner workings of the racers and the racing. Mm-hmm. Now, Eliud hasn't hinted at re- at retiring or anything that I under, that no. I know of. But when you get to that age, your one sprained ankle that never is quite the same away, your one car bumping you across in the crosswalk that causes an injury, one stress fracture away yeah. from the tipping point of being like, can I actually come back now? When you, when you factor father time in with an injury, that's usually a tipping point for most athletes. It's not like, oh, my fitness is so glaringly worse now that I'm 40 that I can't perform. No, if, if they're still healthy, they're probably going to continue to perform until usually something just breaks rhythm, usually on the injury front. And then that's when the decision is made, right? And that can happen at any time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the scary thing. You don't kick it the way you used to when you were 20. And and yeah. there are signs there. He spent the last 10 years just chasing world records and world best times and gold medals. He'd run uh, he'd run London or Berlin every year. Every year. World Championships, London. World Championships, Berlin. Olympics, Berlin. He was always running the same courses, chasing the times, doing the same thing every year because he was just time-focused. And suddenly he's decided, I need to round out my resume. I'm going to go after all the, the world marathon majors he has three to get he'll have two left if he wins this one which means he's going to have to come over to new york city and to boston which would be kind of cool and so you'll people will get a chance to see him live in the u.s but the fact that he's even started to acknowledge the scope of his career means that he also acknowledges yeah the end's in sight he was so far on a one-track mind that he's not now gives me pause like oh man (laughs) this really is going to come to an end yeah one hamstring you know, one little issue, and that, that can be it. What time exactly? Let's talk U.S. Central. Do you do you look that up? 6 p.m., I believe, 6.10 p.m. Central, 7.10 Eastern. And you can go on flowtrack.com and pay for their live stream. It'll pop up. People can click on it. You enter your credit yep. card. They'll let you in, basically. Yeah, and it'll be free elsewhere around the world. Eurosport, right. I believe, has it most places. I think I'll plan a hot date with the missus tomorrow night about 6 p.m., it's a if you look at it as a good romantic date which all runners should look at a marathon viewing party is a romance yeah it's a cheap date 
$15 to stream a race seems like, come on, man. Why would I pay that? But Darren in our movie is way more expensive than that. Listen, everybody knows I know how to romance a lady, Brack, and I think I think you should take my advice here, fellas. What Watch do you think? a marathon with her. Yep. Worked 50% of the time every time. That's not exactly it, but somewhere along those lines. You see that uh, one of those lovely comments I got on the internet the other day? Kirk, I thought that was a throwback screenshot. Like you had a a memory that popped up. No. I so I had so normally I don't post these things because it's not worth posting, but I would say at minimum once a month, but sometimes it comes in bigger waves, I will get just random hate on the internet. Uh because of my bachelor days, because I dumped a girl on national TV and I broke her damn heart, crushed it. Now, did you dump her? Yeah, I broke up with her. Or did you just decide not to marry her? No, well, I decided not to marry her by dumping her. I mean, both are they're synonymous with each other in this case. Uh, we dated for 20 days, pretty serious, 20 days, you know. <laughs> she was talking about moving up here, having my kids, real excited about it. Anyways, um, you know, it wasn't for me. She, we, Her and I weren't a good fit. However, let's not get into that. But once in a while, I will get random hate on the internet from just somebody who has, for some reason, gone back and watched the show. It seems to be from people in foreign countries where, like, it probably didn't air when it did in the U.S. there. It's always, it's behind a lot of these other countries. Um, and so they just, like, get cut up late. So I will get, like, an influx of Chinese people who hate me. For example, suddenly I'll get like an influx of Indian people who hate me or someone in South America. It'll be like in groupings. It'll be like, mm. it's four years later. You can tell when reruns are happening. Yes, for sure. And so I just I just got a like the most simple, non-clever message the other day. And it just said, you're an asshole with no context at all. And and I said, thanks, because what else do you do? Right. You respond. You respond like that because there's no. You're not going to defend yourself on the internet. And I know what it's about. And then she immediately backpedaled right away and was like, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. I, she probably didn't think a real human would actually pick up and open the message and answer. And it just amused me enough to put it up there. Normally, it's like this long paragraph about they hope that I never have babies and they want my dog to die and I'm the worst person that should never find love or something in the world. And that's not worth posting because that's just sad. However, this one was funny, so I posted it. Her answer to you afterwards was fantastic because it wasn't, it showed that she truly meant her first message. Something like, I'm sorry, I was watching it last night and I was just really into it and I felt terrible and you guys were a great match. I just wanted to see you make it. And it made me realize <laughs> these people are serious. They were actually oh, yeah. emotionally invested in your relationship and yet not aware enough to realize I hate this person because they decided not to get married after knowing someone for 20 days and only exclusively dating for like eight of those. <laughs> like the first 10 were in a crowd at dating. Like imagine that in real life. We hung mm. out in a group for 10 days and she made out with a bunch of other guys. And then we got exclusive on day 12. <laughs> and on day 20, she proposed to me and I said, I don't think we're ready. And someone said, you are the worst. <laughs> and we had, you know, zero hours sober together, by the way. Really? As well. Well, I mean, like in those events, that's just how it, how it goes, right? So you add all that up. Right. No, it just said, you're an asshole. I said, thanks. 
She says, wait, Kirk, I'm sorry. I was watching Bachelor in Paradise and got heated in the moment because I was rooting for you guys. But I'm sorry I take it back. I shouldn't have said that. And then I said, it's okay. Thanks for the laugh. And then she went on a big paragraph apologizing. And I think the irony about the people reaching out that do um, reach out just to send blind hate. Well, first of all, I signed up for this by going on a TV show. So all kickback is on my shoulders, right? Like, I understand that. I open this up and I actually laugh out loud. It's amusing to me. But the irony of it is that, like, the level of person it takes to look somebody up and then send them blind disdain over the Internet, calling me the asshole, is like irony at its finest, isn't it? Because what kind of person does it take to go and send blind hate on the Internet, not fully knowing any story? Well, it takes an asshole, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's one thing ironic. to yell at your TV in the moment. <laughs> it's another thing to pause your TV, find that person online, and yell at them directly. I'm sure she's a very sweet girl. I'm sure you know, we all make mistakes. It's okay. It's okay, girl. We all make mistakes. <laughs> I have a couple questions for you. First of all, how long did it take until this didn't bother you? Two two weeks. Two weeks? Maybe. Okay. That's pretty Oh, well, the, the influx is pretty heavy initially. Yep. Do you want to know? Okay, so let's just get into this. You know what? Why not? Let's just get into this. <laughs> Here we are. When I was officially over this thing was this. All right, and I'm sorry, guys, that don't watch the show. We don't talk about this, but since we're spitballing today anyways. Bachelor in Paradise started airing in 2015, and it aired like 12 episodes, and I was on 11 of them, right? I dumped her before like the very end. And that's a terrible It Broke up with her. Barely. Again, 20 days. First of all, isn't bachelor in paradise considered like the second class citizen of the bachelor franchise like isn't that accepted that people go on there and flirt and drink and date and it's not as serious why did you get so much hate for that compared to the actual show well because i was broken up with on previous shows and everybody loves the person that gets broken up with they feel for them they can relate to them but when you're the jerk who decides to rip somebody's beating heart out it doesn't matter how good of a guy you are you're still hated Okay, sorry. Continue. So, all these episodes air, right? And then I am forced to go on the live after show and face Carly for the first time since breaking up with her. I had not seen her since. Okay? She's trashing me on social media. She is hysterical. She hates me, right, for breaking up with her. Um, And it was projected that way, right? America watched that story through Carly's eyes. Because they played all of her interviews, all of her everything. And they played very little of my interviews, my conversations with her saying, I'm just out of a relationship. Like, I'm not ready to move fast. I came here to meet somebody, sure, but we need to slow down. I had those conversations with her, but none of those aired, right? So the, all the, the viewer thinks is Carly's so in love, she can't wait to have babies. And here I am like, hey, we need to pump the brakes, like in interviews the whole time. I'm cluing the, the, the viewer in on all of this, but it's never aired, right? So I'm very forthcoming about this. Carly acts super blindsided. They get great TV, da-da-da. She calls me a week after I break up with her, where she hates me, hates me, hates me, and says, I'm in my car. I'm on my way up to Minneapolis. And I say, excuse me? She says, I need to see you. I need to change your mind, da-da-da. And I said, you turn around and you go home right now because I'm not allowing you to come visit me right now. Again, I'm the biggest jerk she's ever met in her life, yet she's coming up to try to change my mind, which would be Mm -hmm. a little confusing anyways. Fast forward, maybe like... Did she turn around? 
um, she turned around. Okay, I mean, that's just not seeing a plan through to the end. That's not committing. Fast forward to two weeks later, and we have a premiere party. So I have to go to this premiere party in L.A., where we are supposed to live tweet as it's going on. So now I have to see her for the first time again. I am very distant to her. She's whispering to all her girls, and they're all looking at it. It's terrible. 2 a.m. It's like a middle school or high school nightmare, but on TV. Yes. Well, this is not filmed. We're just watching the premiere as a group. 2 a.m., my hotel door is getting pounded on nonstop. Nonstop. Okay. Again, she's trashed me on the internet. Everybody hates me. I'm the worst. She'd never want to be with me anyways, right? Pounding on my door at 2 a.m. Finally, I let her in and she tries to like sexually seduce me. Like work, like just for it. Okay. So again, I'm the worst human in the world. Da, da, da. Fast forward to that. I shove her off. I'm like, get out of here. This is the exact reason why I don't want to be with you. You're just confirming my decision. Like you're irrational, crazy. And although fun to be around at times, not relationship material in my eyes. Kicked her out. Had to forcefully push her out of my hotel room. Fast forward again till the end of the season. And I'm getting to the point here. About eight weeks later, we have to go out for the finale, which means I have to go on TV and now explain to her in front of America why, you know, speak for my actions, right? They put me in a green room, which is a closet, And I can't watch what's going on. And she gets 15 minutes of her own time talking to Chris Harrison and Miss America and whoever else was on the stupid panel. But you don't get to hear it? No, I don't get to hear it. I don't get to know. She gets to speak her side and I don't get anything to speak on my own side. Right. And so then I get I come out there like, Kirk, it's time to go. Little did I know she was talking only through her eyes again for 15 minutes. I walk out. There's Chris Harrison, Miss America and some other relationship expert. I don't know. And I get booed by the crowd as I walk in, right? There's a crowd, like 50 to 100 people in a small audience. I get booed. I sit down. I'm like, shit. And the producers had come in and said their expectation was for me to apologize to her, at least save face enough. And I apologize genuinely. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I did this. And she's like, you said this and you said this. And I just took it. I just took it and just left with my tail between my legs. And I have nothing to apologize for in my eyes. And this is where it gets good. We go back. They cut to commercial break. It's our time is over now. So she has to walk back to the back room now too. So now her and I are stuck together in the back room, like off camera. And she comes up to me laughing and tries to high five me. And I was like, excuse me? And she said, we just made amazing TV. And I was like... You have no idea what is so wrong with you. All she could talk about was how famous we were going to be, how many followers we were going to have. All she wanted to be was in the limelight. It's the very thing I wanted to be not a part of, and that's the things I saw the entire time while I was there. And at my expense, she thought a high five was appropriate after getting railed on TV for being the worst person in the world. Oh, who cares? Let's go out and celebrate. I was like, celebrate? I just got death threats hate mail constantly anyways it was the best damn decision i ever made in my life and then that night i tweeted a gif of a man dodging a bullet and then i opened my own pandora's box of more hate again and uh that was that so there it is wow 
There's more to it, but I gave you the Cliff Notes version of the reasons why that was not a good decision and why I got out of that crap. That's illuminating. <laughs> How's that for a rant? <laughs> That's a good rant. Yeah. That's a good rant, Kurt. So mm-hmm. everyone's tough online, right? Keyboard warriors, death threats are yeah. easy to send out. How much did you get face-to-face? Did you have people in public make make their move? Say, all right, this is not good enough to tweet at you. I'm gonna. I need to confront this man face to face. When you, because I know you did club appearances and event appearances. Plus, you just had to go out in your daily life. Mm-hmm. How much did that happen? Um, it usually wouldn't happen in the daytime. Uh, it, it, people would recognize me and come up to me and still be like, "Are you that? Are you that guy?" God, I'm so mad at you. They would say it in somewhat of a level-headed way, and then I would be approachable and nice and normal to them. And then they would soften up and be like, you don't seem as bad as I thought, and whatever. But where the problem lied is when I would, when you were out and people were drinking. Um, you know, if you went out to any sort of social situation in which there was booze, um, I mean, oh, my God. I'd walk by a group of girls, and you'd, you'd be sitting down having dinner or a few drinks, and the whole you'd be like, well, they noticed. I can see that it's the six groups of girls that all re- somebody recognized me, and now they're all peeking over their shoulder constantly. It happened all the time. You walk up to go to the bathroom and they all flip you off. You know, <laughs> you suck. They'd yell. You know, I've had, like I said, like I drinks dumped. I drink just dumped on my back for no reason at, when I wasn't even looking. Ice cubes thrown at me twice. Bean me in the noggin both times. Um, walk by a group of girls. Yeah. And they'd just be like, boo, boo. <laughs> like nothing feels better than being booed on your way to take a leak. But you know, those things, nobody really, really like those things. Eventually they bounce off. But yeah, I had a, I had a bit of that. And then I just kind of avoided going out, to be honest with you, for a while because it wasn't very fun yeah. uh, for a while. Yeah. We have a mutual friend, Mike Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And before I knew because I, I didn't watch any of this until I met Lisa. And even then, I it was kind of her thing. She'd watch it like while I worked out or did something. I, n- I never watched The Bachelor. It's terrible TV. I don't watch that crap. It's awful. Who would go on that show? So I wasn't aware of of who you were, and you signed up for Leaderboard, and the name didn't register, obviously, because I didn't. I'd never watched it. And I was working out with Mike one day, and he was he had done a race with you, and then I think Le- Marin or Lisa or someone had been like, "Is that the like Kirk?" Oh my god. It's the only Kirk I know. And so I, I became aware of who you were. And he said he found out kind of because his wife, you two went for a run after meeting at a race or something. And his wife mm-hmm. was all excited when he got home and he didn't know why. But he said you guys went out to Summerfest and he got a, an eye opener when mm-hmm. you went out to Summerfest together. He said, I realize like this is a legit thing that's going on and I don't want to be Kirk right now. Yeah. Summerfest Do you remember is- going to Summerfest with him? It wasn't with Mike. You might have heard that through somebody else, which there could have been a plethora of WEAC athletes or somebody that I'd been there with. But someone went. I thought it was Mike, but maybe I'm crossing streams here. But someone went to Summerfest with you, and said it was not like an easy thing to do. Which, for those who don't know, Summerfest is basically a what would you call it? A music festival slash state fair that happens in Wisconsin on the lakefront with a lot of booze in Wisconsin. Which says something. It's like a week long thing or something where there's hundreds of thousand people's there every day. No, it'd be like groups of I couldn't do anything, go anywhere. It'd be 
you know, there may be 30 to a 50 people surrounding you at all times that are just waiting to get in to get a picture or something. So you can't really go anywhere or do anything. If I wanted to go to the restroom, I'd be back in two hours, you know, sort of thing because I couldn't, couldn't get anywhere. Um, that sort of thing that didn't last very long. Um, but, uh, after the, after Bachelor in Paradise, I went into hiding for like three weeks or so. I didn't really go out much. I just didn't want to deal with it. And then people forget. Now it's like somebody will come up to you. You know, I'm not, I'm not in those situations very often anymore. But somebody will come up to you and be like, hey. And they'll look at me and they'll realize, I think I've said this on here before, but they'll realize they have no idea who they just said hey to. They think they know me, but they can't remember how. They're mm -hmm. like, I know him. Like, did I go to school with him? Did I work with him? Did I... Like you get this blank stare from somebody who like can't pin it because it's been so long. Those that's how it happens now. And then I just tell them like, "Oh yeah, I had a minor starring role in Grey's Anatomy in like 2012. That's probably it." And they're satisfied with that, and I move on. That's good. Yeah. What is the most? Where's the most like random encounter that someone actually was came up and talked to you negatively? Was it always socially, or was it like grocery store, or gas station, or? Do you get random single individuals or do they have to be like with a group to do it? Hmm. I can't think of any individuals. No, I did run into two girls once, um, backpacking through Glacier National Park. <laughs> we were like 10 miles deep on a, on a camping trip, like a, on your back camping trip. And we ran into two women who were out there doing the same thing. And one of them did not like me very much. And that was in the middle of nowhere. That felt random. But other than that, that, was... that is pretty random. Pretty random, yeah. That'd be about okay. it. But we can we can move on. That was uh, tangent enough, wasn't it? Well, listen, you had a song written about you, a bad song. Bad in that it painted you in a negative light, and that it just wasn't a good song. <laughs> and then that having a song written about you, that's that says you've been somewhere. Blindsided by Carly Waddell. You can go download that on all major streams. Throw her a buck or two, huh? It's my ringtone when you call. Blindsided. Poor girl's yeah. been married. She got married to the guy she met on the next show, had a baby. Now they're divorced. So she's back to the single life. So if any of you guys want a little crazy in your life, you got, you got your, uh, your doors open. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, this is what happens when uh, we have technical difficulties. How's that for an intro? Should we go to some? Should we go to some questions? I got twenty six of them that we still have yet to cover, so we might as well just get a little bit into this, huh? Slap them in there. I really hope this doesn't seem just super hodgepodge, guys. By the way, we're due for one of these anyways, Bracken, aren't we? Listen, we can do whatever we want. After your weird therapy idea, group therapy, bachelor recap, training Tuesday. Why start a podcast if it's not just to be self-serving? I hope people know that's sarcastic. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should say that. That's Just like your VPN conversation. All right. Question. Here we go. This is from one of my athletes, Eric McIntyre. Uh, it was a personal question, but I figured I'd, I'd throw it on. Uh, it wasn't like a submitted Q&A question. But uh, question on biomechanics. I've been researching good form and I've always learned the pose method or pull method to reduce injury because you use gravity to propel you forward, then catch yourself. Also reducing ground contact time, etc. 
Bracken mentioned in the Ian Hosick episode that he likes to push off the ground instead, which I get on inclines, but is there a proven method or is it really preference and coaches kind of choose what they like based off of experience and or preference? Confusing, but I think you know what he's getting at there. Yeah, I think I've said this before, but this is the reason I sometimes regret just saying things that I don't necessarily like speaking them without context because sometimes they become a tentpole statement that's not intended to be. I talked about thinking about pushing off the ground because I am a low strider by nature. My legs want to not rise up off the ground. And if I lift my knees, my feet just want to drag the ground underneath them. But when I, when I focus on pushing off the ground, I get my heels up underneath me better. And so it's just a cue for me. I don't really think that I run by pushing off the ground where some people run by lifting their knee off the ground and others do the pose method. And I, it, it was a, a casual line that was maybe taken as a, like a statement of belief. So I want, I just want to clear that up. I hope I don't, I know what happens, but I hope I don't too often lead people astray by letting letting one sentence seem like it has more merit than it really does. I guess that's just where I'm going to start. I think that's where we start and end, to be honest with you. I just think his last question or part of the question was, is there a proven method or is it really preference and the coaches kind of choose what they like based off experience? And the answer would be yes. Choose what they like based off of experience. Yeah. I, I have a belief, Kirk. And that is that if someone is selling a system, they're selling you a product. If it is a system, especially athletically, a system just is a commercial play. It's not necessarily best practice for everyone. And so that's my issue with pose. That's my issue with minimalist running. It's they're selling you a system rather than meet you at your needs. I think pose running is has probably done as much bad for the running community as it has good. There are elements to pose running that are really good sound elements. But the system of pose running is is just misapplied far too often. And I I don't like looking to the highest level for for actual technique because they usually have their own perfect biomechanics. But I don't personally know of one single person who chose pose running and became a very competitive athlete. I know a lot of people who got healthier off pose running, which is its own conversation and is great. But I also know a lot of people who stagnated off pose running because they got too into the mechanics of running and got too far away from running fast. So um, I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I just don't think systems are the correct approach. Can you give a quick elevator speech on the pose methods? Most people or no. no, you know, I don't even want to get into it. We don't even want to get into it, people. And, and here I have two issues with systems. The first is that I think that they oversimplify certain things or overemphasize certain things because they're easy to transfer to the audience. And because if you can sell someone, this is a system that's going to fix you, it's easier than saying, well, let's kind of break you down individually and see what you need. There's less wiggle room in a system, and so it seems safer to do. The second is that the system can't be differentiated. 
It can't be removed from the people who represent the system. And far too often, the people who start the system and then turn around and teach it have convoluted it from its original intent. And so I don't want to attack the pose method or, or the person who started it. But what it's become is synonymous with slow barefoot running. And I just don't really have much of a place for that in my hierarchy. Me either. Next question. <laughs> Stephen Pike. He says, do you avoid quality work the day after doing leg strength work? I find myself avoiding quality runs after days that I do weighted squats, lunges due to muscle soreness. And I'm starting to wonder if I'm shortchanging myself by doing so. Thanks. Well, I know you have a specific answer on this, so why don't you kick it off? Well, okay. Well, I do. I think you do too. But um, in an ideal world, I, I run into this philosophy. So if, if you're looking at us, I just had this conversation with somebody last night, one of my athletes. If you are looking at a seven days a week run schedule, you know, for me, I like to show up to one of my quality workouts ready to go. Meaning I don't want to have any residual leg soreness, doms, fatigue. And usually that's my Tuesday workout. I'm three, four days removed from any big leg stimulus and I'm ready to pop. However, I think big leg quality, fatigue, soreness, da, da, da work can be advantageous, especially for like a easy long run or before like a nice steady effort, because then you're kind of doing a fatigued long run on, on a body that's already a little compromised. And that, in my opinion, is okay. Um, but in an ideal world, if you really care about metrics and what's going to move the fitness needle further forward on quality work in which you're shooting for metrics, um, I'd be avoiding the quality work the day after legs too. But I think there's a time and a place, especially when you're working on strength running, which would be long runs, uh, maybe chasing some vert at a, a steady effort, things like that. Um, I guess, if does, is that enough of a philosophy for you? Is that Yeah. And I know that you're a big fan of doing a quality long run or a long run after deadlifting the day before or squatting. Like you'll yep. intentionally do that. And I, I think there's some substance there. I look at it like there is a spectrum of quality. On one end of the spectrum, it is short and it is fast. And at the other end of the spectrum is the long run. The farther I get towards short and fast, the less I want to lift the day before. And the more I get towards long and slow, the more I want to lift the day before. Yep. I don't find personal value in lifting hard the day before I run fast because it doesn't feel good to me. Me either. I don't think that it. I can recover well off of it, and I think I'm more susceptible to, to soft tissue injury. Day before a grindy effort, like you said, I think it's great skill work, and I think it forces you to be better with your form. So I, the, cl the sharper it gets, the less I want to lift legs before or after. And the duller it gets, the more I want to lift legs before. So I, I do schedule it differently based on the type of intensity, but also based on the history of the athlete. Early on, any sort of lifting is really hard to recover from and run. In fact, a big issue a lot of, of runners have when they introduce lifting is they just can't even keep their volume up or hit their quality days while adding lifting in no matter where they put their lifting. But over time, the lifting stops leaving you sore. You stop getting those, like that inner thigh, those crazy micro tears up mm. and down from squatting. As your mobility and your technique and your just resistance to it improves. And so there are times in my life where I couldn't lift anywhere close to a tempo run. And then there are other blocks of training where I could probably lift right before a, a tempo run and just be fine. So it is a sliding scale. It changes with your, with your training. 
I couldn't agree more about the shorter, faster, and sharper the work, the less inclined I am to want to do strength work before, and the longer, grindier, or slower the work, the more inclined I am. I program for basically all my athletes to lift heavy on a Friday. Yeah. And once in a while, they have a quality long run on a Saturday, and we deal with it. But you know what? When you pull that stimulus on race week and you arrive at Saturday without some of that fatigue in your legs, guess what happens? Mm-hmm. You pop. So as long as it's timed right, there's a purpose. You can justify it. Yeah. And I, I look at this with compromised running too. If I'm doing compromised running, I'm more likely to do it with some threshold style work, maybe 10K at the fastest. If I get much faster than that, I start losing my form. And the faster you run, the more important it is to keep your form. It's easy to keep your form together at slower paces, but the closer you get to that sharp, stingy side, the easier it is to let little pieces get out of whack. And compromised or lifting can be things that keep you from keeping your form correct. And that's when you get hurt or that's when you don't work on race-specific stride and skill. And so I think it's real important to, if you're doing that, you have to take sometimes more rest or sometimes just bigger, more days before you can get back to moving fast. Because even if you can handle it, if your stride's not correct, you're not doing yourself a whole lot of service by doing the work. No. Yeah, I agree. Anything else you want to add to that? No, no, I'm happy there. I'm not as I'm not as angry about that as I am about pose running. Yeah, I noticed. I felt a little emotional <laughs> during that. It's okay. It's okay to have emotions. Um, <clears throat> next question from Ryan Hudson. Um, how do you train smart with an effort mentality, and how do you get around coaching someone with that mentality? I feel like it's becoming more popular for some people to see something that they really shouldn't be doing and just sign up anyways. Kind of like me having no right to really do a 12-hour race, but I'm doing it anyways. That's a good question. <laughs> and I'm going to say that his this is a former athlete of mine, and his 12-hour race, he chose to do like a looped backyard ultra on his own, and it went very well. However, um, the whole effort, sign up for anything, screw it, I'm going to not listen to logic. How do you deal with coaching somebody like that? Well, it's really difficult. <laughs> These are the, the type of athletes that, are either really rewarding to work with or really maddening. And it comes down to how much of a balance can you strike? Because there's two types of people with effort in them. There are the types of people, uh, maybe uh, Becca Jones was that, where she's got a lot of effort in her. I'll mm-hmm. just go do it. But she's also analytical about how she prepares for the ability to do that. She knows her tendencies. She knows what her physical requirements are going to be. And so she makes sure her body's in a place to handle her effort. But it's the people who don't understand what they don't understand, who they're just like a dog chasing cars. And it doesn't matter if a car just went by or if 50 cars just went by, they have the same effort to them. Those are the people that are maddening to work with because you need some foresight to be able to make snap decisions. I think it's the same thing financially. Like buying things on a whim is a terrible thing if you're buying it on a whim. But if you're a really good financial planner and you research all the products you could potentially want or need and you know a good deal when you see it, you can buy on a whim because the work has been put in in advance and you have a safety net underneath you. And that's how I look at training. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's it's tough. It is tough. I kind of go on the, uh, you know, like I'm not a parent or anything, but you're like, you know your kids are going to learn some hard lessons and mess up along the way, right? Mm -hmm. And those are things that you can't really teach them. 
you can't tell them that that even if you tell them it's a bad idea they need to experience it for themselves before it sinks in and we talk about this with like our athletes and racing too much in their first season and not really having a good periodized and overview structure to their yearly training plan i kind of that's how i am with the person with the effort mentality it's like you know what great why don't you go ahead unless it's so crazy that i know like this is going to end your recent mm-hmm. career. It's like, go for it. Of course, here are the risks. But if you want to do it, I'll support you. Mm-hmm. And then you have that conversation afterwards. And you got some people just got to scratch the itch, right? Now, if you're a, a perpetual or habitual effort person, and this is a reoccurring theme, and and your fitness is never improving, that's another conversation. But like, don't you feel like you got to just let the kids go off and make their own mistakes? And then, and then kind of say, I told you so in the most loving manner afterwards? Yeah. And I think that's the perfect analogy because you have to intentionally parent so that they can fail safely. And that means you got to hit the upper and lower limits safely. You know, here's what they have to be able to have on the upper end and here's what they need on the lower end. And now you can fail anywhere along that spectrum because you've got, again, your safety net underneath you and running's the same way. There's a difference between you can't race every distance and you can't survive every distance. People often say, you can't race every distance. Well, that's not true. Racing is simply showing up and competing as hard as you can. You can do that. You're just going to have varying levels of success. If you've got a lot of effort in you, you have to be prepared physically to handle the demands of any race you might jump into. And that's a whole lot easier than being perfectly fit for any of those given races. Like if you can handle sprinting and you can handle being on feet for 24 hours, you can handle anything in between. You may not be great at it, but you're not going to get injured doing it. And that's really the question there is what is my sustainable training that allows me to be physically capable of handling whatever I jump into? And hopefully I get better along the way of having some foresight of, I think I might jump into this and I start kind of leaning into that style of training a little bit, but being able to structurally handle it, that's maintainable. Yep. Yeah. And hey, sometimes those people with the effort mentality end up stumbling upon something they never would have otherwise, mm-hmm. right? And and it ends up being a good thing. So if you had to be ready, Kirk, if you had to be ready yourself or someone else from a 400-meter dash to a 40-hour race, what would you do physically with their training to make sure that they were ready to handle it all? Who cares if you're good at it? But ready to jump into anything are there are there what are the low-hanging fruits that you would just make sure is in there oh low-hanging fruits going to be mechanic work and strides first of all absolutely mm-hmm. inf- infused in their program um we are going to train maybe closer to like a miler where we're going to have some true speed work in there which means maybe we're doing hundreds 200s 300 sometime every 10 days or so then we're also going to couple that with some long running that simple and a lot of easy stuff in between, but we're just going to hit both ends of the spectrum in training, just like they're trying to hit both ends of the spectrum in their racing. And so at least the systems are going to recognize those paces, efforts, and feelings, no matter the, no matter the distance. That's what I would do. What about you? Yeah, I think it's that easy. Go for a long run at minimum every other week, get one legit long effort every month Mm -hmm. and do semi-consistent, short, really fast speed work. Take a ton of rest. Just be mechanically able to handle speed and mechanically able to handle endurance. And the rest can be built on just volume and weight room stuff. It's a sustainable training plan and it's probably going to be really fun. 
Uh, you set us up for our next tra- question. We're just going to check this box in like five words or less. Actually, one word we're going to check this box in. The next question happens to be. I'm going to say yes. Is it possible to get faster and gain endurance at the same time in training? That is the question. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Do we need to elaborate? Yes. Okay, go. With just a small PSA, which I've said, you've said multiple times on here, but it's always good to remind people that almost every person who's interested in running is fast enough to run as fast as they want to run at distance. They just can't keep it long enough. So anytime you improve your endurance, you're going to improve your speed at races. Speed doesn't mean just sprinting. We can all sprint fast enough to run whatever marathon pace you want to run. You just can't keep it long enough. Endurance always helps. Yes. For It'd be like, and the, again, I'm assuming here, and I'm not trying to offend anybody by saying this, but or any this one in particular human, but you know, everybody be like, well, Ryan Atkins is so fast. Ryan Atkins is fast. He's a monster. He's mm-hmm. fast. Ryan Atkins is fast. He's so fast. But if you took the list of top 30 runners in OCR and made us all do a mile time trial or a quarter mile for max effort, I'm going to bet Ryan's not going to crack the top 15. So when we say fast, it has nothing to do with your top-end ability. It has very little to do with your top-end ability. It has everything to do with your stay power, grit, and the intangibles. Yeah. And so I, that's no that's a compliment to Ryan Atkins in the sense we're like, sure, but could Ryan Atkins can maybe hold 95% of his top pace longer than anybody we know. Yeah. And that's why he's great. Yeah, look at Ryan Woods who is arguably the fastest runner we have in the sport in terms of their PRs. He's run a 343-1500, which is the equivalent of a four-minute mile, and he's run a 1350, 1351 5K. If you're in the 13s in the 5K, you're as fast as you really never need to be. You're, you're never going to run into people, like a group of people faster than you, unless you're at a national level, level meet. Mm-hmm. However, what would Ryan take in the 40, the entire sport of the entire elite field? He'd be probably be in the back half. Probably. Yet by the time you get to the one-mile race, he's already top 10. Or five. And if you took his PR, he's top one. Yep. And if by the time you get to the 5K, there's one or two guys that could have a chance of hanging on to him. And that's not that long of a distance. A one-mile race is not long. Yet he has no real sprint ability. Speed is overrated. Stain power is everything. You're going to take that, Ryan Woods? And I quote, he has no real sprint ability none of us do that is true if we were we'd be sprinters he ran 5k 10k in mile in college because he wasn't running the 60 meters indoor and the 100 meters outdoor Mm -hmm. we're not sprinters nope i'm a fairly athletic person for a runner i think i ran 469 or 471 for a 40 oh for a distance runner that's fairly fast and athletic And that is pedestrian for a sprinter. That would make me one of the three or four fastest linemen at the NFL combine. It's like Mm -hmm. everything is relative. None of us are sprinters. So don't worry about that. All right. So don't be offended, Ryan Woods or Ryan Atkins. No, he's faster than me at every distance on on the planet. So Mm -hmm. if he's not a sprinter, I'm not a sprinter. Yeah, other than the 40. All right, next one. I don't know who this is from, but it's in my emails, so I'm guessing it's another athlete of mine. Uh, The question is, 
How do we feel about judging standards in hybrid racing? Mm, controversial. <laughs> yes. I feel that CrossFit and Rogue Invitational have really set benchmarks for how judging should be done at major events. I also know that it's a bit of a crapshoot race to race as it is with Spartan races. I noticed while watching the DecaFit record break that just released, this is maybe, what, a month and a half ago, um, there were what I would call major flaws in the judging. Uh, based of the standards provided, it seemed... I think you meant on. Based on the standards provided, it seemed like a bit of a free-for-all. The reverse lunge and box step-ups over stations especially. When I hear full extension at hip, it usually means full extension. I guess my question is, as a competitor, how do you address this, and do we think that judges need to be certified like they are for CrossFit, at least maybe for video review afterwards? Listen, there, there are no lies. <laughs> there are no falsehoods in this statement. I agree with every criticism our sport gets on form. It's 100% valid. It also is just not realistic for us to to fix it. We can improve the system greatly, but I don't know. CrossFit just has the ability to get unlimited volunteers who are willing to go through fairly lengthy training before every event. And we've shown no ability to draw on volunteers like that. And we've shown no ability to generate enough capital to pay people to, to have judgment standards. So I think movement standards are horrendous in our sport. Horrendous. Horrendous. And I think that's allowable in some regards. For example, um, let's say uh, the Ram burpees at Spartan Race or at DECA. The only, it is a push-up and then basically a snatch or a clean and press on the weight coming up but the only movement standard is that your chest has to hit the weight on the bottom and the weight has to clear your head on the top mm. so there's no extension you can just kind of turtle your head down and does the top have to clear it the bottom it's always a little bit funky it's a bad standard and so the best you can do is approximate on the judging if every event has their own standards i'm actually okay with having bad standards like in my opinion, butterfly pull-ups are a bad standard because when you slow it down, almost nobody fully extends or nobody definitively gets their chin above the bar, but the standard is the standard and they judge it across the board. So I think that's what we need. We need consistent judging. Even if it's a bad standard, judge it consistently. So everyone has the same playing field, but yeah, our standards are horrendous. Our burpee standards at Spartan, which is a very simple exercise to judge even though people want to say it's so difficult to do a proper burpee and judge it. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's really difficult to do a fatigued, fast, proper burpee when you want to save time. But if you wanted to do it correctly, everyone's capable of standing up straight and lying prone on the ground and then lifting their hands above their head straight up. Everyone who's completing a Spartan race is capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. It's just a decision point that's allowed to happen because... They pick and choose when they want to enforce it. Well said. I agree with all of that. I want to hear your take because you're more in the fitness industry than I am in terms of the gym itself. It's a joke. It's decided. It's it's decided many many events. The the lack of fitness standards or the lack of properly judging and then penalizing improper fitness standards 
It's absolutely ridiculous. In any event that gives away money, it's unacceptable. It's not where it needs to be. If this is all for fun so we can get a medal and get a sweet photo of our abs to put on Instagram, then fine. Who cares about your dumb movement standards? But money's on the line in most of these races, and that matters. Yeah. And so that's why it's worth talking about. I just think, um, you know, what happens is this. There's, there's just – there's not enough judges typically at a lot of these events – to properly monitor everybody. Look at the burpee pits in Jacksonville. How do you monitor 50 people at one right. time with two people standing there? So what they need to do, in my opinion, is either make the field smaller or make the waves smaller so they can properly be judged. And and it's like in our field, it's like we never know when we're no repping. We only find out after the fact. And that, in my opinion isn't really fair to the athlete either either yes it's on them to know the movement standard and complete it properly but mm-hmm. it's also fair to know in the moment like in crossfit no rep didn't count da 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 and for that it's just needs the, the fields need to be more spacious which means maybe a one day high rocks event needs to be a two day high rocks event or a deca event where everything's split up needs to be more time trial format look at the crossfit games those guys compete in a ton of waves and they have no idea where they're standing against their competition until the final results come out until the very end when they're stacked against the top leaderboard of, you know, 10 athletes. It's like, you know, we may just have to accept that fate if they have the resources, spread people out, and that way you can get better eyes on each individual person. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, you're right. Perfect world, there is one judge per competitor, and it's real-time rep, no rep. That is the perfect system. But since we can't do that, the only other option is to stop choosing the wrong test you know as a teacher we used to look at things especially a special ed and say if we're continually getting students who don't know what we're asking of them maybe we're asking the wrong questions mm-hmm. like maybe i think they should be able to know this but if everyone can't the problem's me not them even if i allow the problem to become the problem it's still my fault for example box jumps or box step overs with deca and and stadium if you can't tell when someone is hinging their hips versus fully opening up and like the box jump criteria for stadiums is ridiculous. You have to fully extend at the top and then at the bottom, there's no criteria. You can step up, step down. You just have to fully extend at the top. That's a judgment. However, if you just made it step over and the only criteria is get to the other side, now there's no judging. It's just rep-based. And people get to play with, how do I change my form to get faster? Same thing for, for DECA. If box stepovers are the key, but you have to have a hip extension, take out the hip extension. Yeah. If there's no power involved, if there's no weight, to me, there's no reason to have form be judged. If you're moving your body from one side of an obstacle to the other, part of the fun is get there however you can and see whose mechanics work best. Now, for a, a ram burpee to overhead, you should judge form on that because you have weight. So if there's weight, you should have form. If there's not, it should just be completed as fast as possible. And whenever possible, choose something that doesn't have form requirements but has completion requirements. So in a stadium race, heavy jump rope. You see a ton of different rep types, but all you have to do is get over the rope each time. Yeah, Whereas yeah. slam ball overhead, you have to get the ball above your head and it has to touch on the bottom. But sometimes you have to throw it down. Sometimes you can hold it all the way down. It used to be you had to have full extension over your head. Now you don't. Like, 
choosing a better option, like maybe the ball has to hit a target, that's better. Because then you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about form. You just have to get the ball off the ground to the target and down. And now it's just completion rather than judgment. So they could simply just change how they're judging by changing the actual movement. And that would save everyone a headache. We're going to have this discussion for a long time. It's always going to be a discussion. You know, we did a stadium race in Dallas where we had to hit an I-beam with our ball. I like that. And it immediately changed all of it because no one cared about form anymore. You can just get it done as fast as you can. Instead of spending half the time wondering, am I going to get dinged on video rep afterwards? And then you end up having to do 17 reps instead of 15 because two felt a little weird, but no one's telling you rep, no rep. Like That's not competing. And I don't like the idea of full extension on a non-weighted movement that's supposed to be done for speed. Mm-hmm. If it's done for speed, let people rip. Otherwise, you have to pause a speed rep to show completion, but there's no weight involved. Like It's just a dumb test, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Clearly, this is like pose running for me. I'm fired up. Well, you should be. And this has caused a lot of problems for a lot of people who deserve to finish in front of people who finish in front of mm-hmm. them due to proper form. And that would lead to frustration. And, you know, it's very cyclical. But what it comes down to is having real-time information on whether or not you're doing something properly and finding a way to execute that on the race course. And uh, that is that. Video review is great. At least it's a fail-safe. It's better than nothing. However, it's barely better than nothing. (laughs) I hate to tell you. It is. And how many times have we been at a race and someone's like, listen, there was an issue here. That person didn't do burpees. Or I swear they did like 10 because I failed before them and I got out of there afterwards. And someone goes, oh, you know what? We we ended up not having a camera at that station today. (laughs) It's like, well, come on. If that was the fail-safe and we knew that, Suddenly it's not there anymore. I don't know. Consistency. Got to be consistent. I agree. Next question is from John May. Uh, I have always been interested in trail running, but only now have started my journey towards completing a 10-miler at a state park. 1,200-foot elevation climb involved. I'm a bigger guy, 6'3", 260, hoping to get that much lower by race day. I'm working my way through your catalog, but do you have any episodes that are more targeted to beginners I find that listening to you guys talk serves as more of an inspiration of where I hope to be soon. I assume applying versus where I currently am. Yeah. Thanks once again. Love the pod. What do you got? I mean, true beginners, I would still send people back to the episodes on 80-20, on polarized training, on hard days hard, easy days easy, the power of the long run, the power of staying aerobic. That's where I would start. We hit the low-hanging fruit early with our Training Tuesdays, the basics, as we would call it. Um, I would go back to our first Training Tuesday, and I would start from the very beginning. We know I think our first Training Tuesday was with Carrie Tullison as we were sort of developing the Training Tuesday idea. But then the second one is where we dive into the current format, you know, is basically one topic, and we start at the, the basics. And so I would go back to Training Tuesday episode number two, actually. And I would start there. And you're going to probably in those first dozen episodes be brought up to speed for the most part on on the things that maybe are over your head currently. Yeah. And then we've done at least one, if not two episodes on how to build base. Mm-hmm. And building base is really being a beginner again for advanced athletes. Like you all have to do mm-hmm. the same the same structure, the same principles apply. So start there. But the easiest thing you could do early on is keep it simple. Run easy. Run easy, run easy, run a little longer one day. And when you feel like it once, maybe twice a week, run a little faster. 
Mm -hmm. But that's it early on. Get your reps in. You can always add more stimulus later once your body's ready for it. Yep, I agree. Uh, Michael Grieve. Uh, This is back from Thanksgiving. Again, just shows we need to work. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Question for your next Q&A if possible. The Running Public program has been calling for Hunt and Vert. Since it started, I have three main hilly areas I can go to in my flat Iowa town. I used some online app to calculate the hills so they could be wrong. Hill 1 is basically a flood dike and gets about 20-ish feet of gain with roughly 20% grade for a half mile. Hill 2 gets 115 feet of gain at 7% grade for 0.3 miles. And Hill 3 gets 109 feet of gain over 0.62 miles, 3% grade. I'm planning on running Jacksonville for the first time this year. See, we're late on these back in the post-Jacksonville. All right, I'm planning on running Jacksonville for the first time this year, and if I remember right, it had those moguls, so I feel the flood dike would make the most sense training-wise. But long-term, my overall goal is Tahoe since it crushed me this year. Obviously, getting an incline trainer would solve this, but it isn't an option in the near future, sadly. I imagine each would have its useful regardless of the overall grade, but would it be best to utilize certain ones if I'm targeting certain races? I know this is a complicated question because I was babbling off numbers, percents, grades. It's a very relevant question because all of you are at home listening or running listening thinking, I need to go chase vert today or run hills, and I have a number of them in mind. One's short and steep, one's long and gradual, and you have to make those decisions. We all do it. And so it's a really specific but relevant question i think to everybody even if i lost you while while reading it i agree now those numbers didn't all make sense to me one of them's could you say the the numbers real quick just the grade the distance and the vert 20 feet of vert 20 percent grade for 0.05 of a mile so a short steep one okay short like like a ravine yep hill two is 115 feet of gain for over 0.3 miles about 7% What's the grade. grade? 7? And then the other is 0.62 miles with 109 feet of gain, about 3% grade. So it basically is a short, steep, medium, medium, and long gradual. Okay. Those numbers still don't make sense to me. Whatever. <laughs> In terms of how the math would work out. But yeah, we got short, steep, medium, medium, long gradual. You could really argue either one of these, but it would seem to me that I would spend the vast majority of my time on the medium, medium hill. Me too. Because you can always scale one deviation up or one deviation down as an alternate day and then hone in your skill as a race approaches. As you start your final training block, switch to the one that matters most. But I would spend the most time on medium grade, medium hill. Me too. However, sorry we didn't get this to you in time for Jacksonville, but you are right. We have 20-foot hills on the moguls, which in my case would be, in my advice, would be running like Let's say a three-minute repeat, and you circle that mogul three times in that three-minute repeat. Like, mm-hmm. that would be very race-specific to Jacksonville. Sorry we're late on that. But I agree that certain hills for specific timing, like maybe in the last three weeks leading into it, medium hill you always go back to, but knowing Jacksonville, knowing the moguls, you hit that for every option maybe, the three weeks or four weeks leading up, then go back to medium hill and vice, you know, vice versa. That's how I'd look yeah. at it. And I would probably save that short, steep hill for spicy work. It's so short. Do you want to go up and down 0.03 miles for 90 minutes? 0.05. Ooh, what is that, 80 meters? It's a difference. 80 meter hill for 90 minutes? No, you don't want to. You could, 
you and I both have, but it's probably better to hit those fast or insert that into some interval work where the other two, you can run it as intervals. You can run it as a threshold. You can do it as a long run. You can just do it as an easy skill run day. That's probably how I would treat it. Yep. I thought when it's time to hurt and go run something fast, sharp, stingy, throw it in there. Yep. Yeah. Um, Nora Rose, you guys are an awesome PCAST. One bit of feedback. Oh, it's feedback. Uh, that I'm sorry was unsolicited, so don't kill me. It is so hard to hear Kirk sometimes. I'm sure the logistics are hard, but just wanted to let you know I need to hear him loud and clear in my life. Aw. I think that's been addressed. We're having audio issues. We don't understand. I think this was on a long time ago. I don't know. This was pr- prior to your new mic. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I would notice that editing it. But now these days our audio levels are much more manageable. It's not perfect, but you are night and day from what you used to be. And I'm not like a quiet talker or anything, so it's not my projection. My old mic used to just blow your ears out for no reason every once in a while. That was always fun. But don't worry, we won't murder you for that question or that that feedback. No, we appreciate constructive criticism. Thank you. And we're still, this is a never-ending search. We're still looking for ways to improve this thing tech-wise. Yeah. We, We still haven't nailed our audio. We know that. We're working on it. Benjamin Trutter. This one's back from January 14th, so we're getting closer here. I'm a pretty new runner. Started running, still started really running in the beginning of 2020. I basically just do Garmin coach programs. I did a half marathon plan last year and finished it. I just finished a 5K plan today and was able to get my time down to 25.33 for the 5K. What should I do next? My goal is really to just get faster and at shorter distances like one mile 5k and 10k thanks (laughs) it's a good question and it's again these are these are common questions and that a lot of people face this especially when you're doing a app-based plan it's all right my next nine weeks are scripted out for me that's awesome then you get to the end and you think oh well now what so this is very very common kirk and i share the same belief i believe that we got to do one or two things. You either have to spend some time really working on speed development, working on form, working on mechanics, really short, really fast stuff with some volume work in there, and then move up in distance to attack your running PRs with your new, you know, shiny stride. Or start at that 5K, 10K work and add in some speed sprinkles and you'll be able to attack it all at once. Yep. I think it's impossible for us to tell you what to tackle next. That's a tough question. You have to decide that. But whatever you decide, um, don't like hop around. Just pick a pick a make a decision on how your training is going to look, or fi- decide on a plan and then stick to it. Whatever you decide um, is important. But you just need to have like the proper pillars to your to your program. Shorter races in quotes, like a ten k based on your 5k time is still potentially you know 50 to 60 minute venture that's endurance at its finest so it means have some speed work in there have some threshold work in there and have your long runs in there and find a way to get that stimulus almost on a weekly basis all three check the boxes and then you know you got yourself a stew you can be all right Mm -hmm. that's it stole that from you back i do like that kirk i like that you use my my stew line what you're describing is cross-country and track. I would start out with a block focusing on the 10K, and you're going to PR your 5K during that time. 
Now, if you were peaking for Olympic trials and you've already hit really fine PRs, fine meaning like finely tuned PRs, there's not much wiggle room, you're going to have to focus on them individually. I'd start working on my 10K. You're going to PR your 5K there. You might even PR your mile, and then you switch to track. Start doing some quick stuff and really push that mile up. Yep. P- push a mile down. Time yeah. goes down, but the performance goes up. We, we're tracking you. Tracking me. Next question, Rohan Bar. Rohan. He sneaks in once in a while, hey? Yeah. How do you tell if a pair of shoes need to be replaced? How long should we expect each pair to last? How much does it vary between shoes? Hmm. Shoe, shoe guy, the floor is yours. Well, this has become less predictable with changing technologies. It used to be there was one type of foam, and there were maybe two types of rubber exteriors, and maybe two or three types of uppers. And you knew that Nike was going to last less than Asics, and Mizuno was going to probably last the longest of them all, and that everyone else was sitting right around there in the middle. And people would say 350 to 500 miles per pair of shoes. But as companies started playing around with technology, you got mixed results. So Kirk and I were just talking prior to this about the Scott Supertrack RC. It's one of our favorite trail running and racing shoes of all time. Love that shoe. And what was your exact quote on that shoe? That shoe is the best damn shoe for about 100 miles. And then it loses what makes it great. Somewhere along those lines. And I said, in maybe only 50 miles of racing, you said, yeah, but it's an awesome, beautiful 50 miles. Uh huh. Yep. And that's the deal nowadays. Skechers is one of my favorite foams. I love Hyperburst, but it compresses. It changes its feel after about 150 miles for me. Still very runnable, but it's not the same feel. You might get something like Nike React, where it could last you six, seven, eight hundred miles. There's people who get 1,000 miles out of some of their React shoes. Boost. Boost, you can go until the uppers fall off your shoes. Boost doesn't change. It's dense. It's heavy. It's kind of nice. But you're not going to run through the boost. Mm. You're going to run through the sole of the shoe or the upper, but the boost is not changing. My Hoka Cliftons or Hoka Bondies, I could put 1,000 miles in those, no questions asked. Yet the Hokas and all is one of those 100 to 150 mile shoes before the foam's compressed and it's yeah. it's not even it's a shell of the shoe it used to be. It's it's so shoe dependent. Yeah, so what what you have to be able to do is separate the shoe from the mileage. The mileage almost doesn't matter anymore. You're looking at outsole wear, you're looking at midsole compression and you're looking at how your body's telling you the shoe's doing. If I have to ask, I wonder if the shoe's done, it's done. And if you get the chance to find a new pair of that shoe, you just put it on and your feet are going to tell you right away. You're going to say, no, this feels just like my old shoe. You ride that baby longer. But you put on that new Super Track, Jared Price, we talked about him last episode. He just got mm-hmm. a new pair of Super Tracks for slow, I believe. Kind of like what you're doing, Kirk. Mm-hmm. Unless that's inside information and I don't need to tell people you're racing in Super Tracks. I don't know if I'm going to wear them in slow. I'm, I might wear them in, uh, I might wear the Super Tracks and some of these other drier mountain races. Okay. I'm going to wait till the course map comes out for slow and see if we're actually yes. chasing vert or not. But continue. Well, he said, I didn't think my old ones were too compressed. I forgot how much they compress. I put the new ones on and thought, oh yeah, this is how they feel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's shoe by shoe. These lunar racers over my shoulder, I could get years out of those things. Yep. The Hoka's to the left of those, if I make it three or four races, that's a success. Out of the Hoka Evo Jaws. Yep. 
that's another one that's like one of the best damn rides you can ask for initially and, and it breaks down yep yeah if you got to show up with one bullet to the start line and you know you only have to fire it once like, give me the evo jaws or give me the super track if i just like life's on the line give me one of those two if it's the course of a season i gotta have something more durable yeah yeah um all right next question michael garcia i like this question it's worth a little debate uh what's up fellas happy new year thank you <laughs> you're a little late there michael <laughs> yeah michael why are you so behind come on try to keep up <laughs> we're bad see and this see, these i always feel like when somebody looks at the q a they're like uh default episode throwaway episode but like we get these things to stack up like it's just impossible to keep up no matter how many q a's we do they're just still there I'll tell you what, as the editor of this podcast, uh-huh. I listen to everything after we say it. I find myself most mentally engaged after Q&As, like while I'm doing it again. Having heard and said it all, I get little things out of our Q&As when I edit it. So I got to assume that people aren't too frustrated with them. Our number of downloads would tell us the same thing. So yeah. um, between the Concept 2, Bike Erg, and Schwinn IC4... Which one would y'all say would be the best overall equipment piece to have? Thanks in advance for any info. What's the Schwinn IC4? I don't know. Uh, and I assume the bike erg is basically like the fan bike? Uh, a bike erg. Is, is it Concept 2 he's saying? No, that Concept 2, comma, bike erg, comma, Schwinn IC4. Maybe this gentleman knows more about cross-training equipment than we do. Maybe. When I hear bike erg, I think of Concept 2's bike that has the belt-driven pedals. But he might be talking about a fan bike. So the Sh- There's the AD Pro from Schwinn. Well, the Schwinn IC4 is a real is a real bike. So the Schwinn IC4... Um, is that a spin bike? It's a spin bike, correct. Okay. A uh, complete spin bike, looking it up. Looks very nice. Got a little little dumbbell attachment for it, kind of nice. But it's a it is a pure spin bike. So we're talking rower, fan bike, and spin bike. That's basically what we're talking: rower, fan bike, okay. spin bike. Took us a little while there, Michael. And what's the exact question between the Concept Two, Bike Erg, and Schwinn IC Four? Which one would you all say is the best overall equipment piece to have? Should we say it on three? Yes. Well, we'll use his terminology. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Bikerg. Oh. <laughs> wow. How did you know? Now, that being said, that just means it's the best overall workout for most people for most sports. It's the least specific workout. It targets nothing and everything. Like, you get to choose. In rowing, it's really hard to row without your legs. Spin bike, you can't spin without your quads. Fan bike, you can do all upper body, all lower body, a good mix of them. You can alternate as you go. It ties everything together, and so it's fantastic. But it's the least specific to running. It's the least specific to um, to to OC. I shouldn't say OCR. It's the least specific to running, but it's the best overall workout for most people because rowing requires a skill component to get the max out of the machine. And spin bike is very one-dimensional. But that doesn't mean that if I were training for a marathon, I would do all my quality workouts on the assault bike because I would probably do it on the spin bike. So Mm -hmm. 
I know that's confusing, but if I could only own one, it'd be the fan bike. Fan bike for sure for me. Exactly. You can just use your legs if you want. There, there's your spin bike. Okay. I mean, you have one resistance, but whatever. Just your arms. Got a little meniscus surgery on the horizon. Well, just use your arms. That's great too. And I would argue that the motion of the legs on the bike are more specific than the motion of the legs on the uh, on the rower. So I don't know. It's just bang for your buck. And if you want something that's going to get your heart rate as high as it can, if it needs to replace quality work, nothing is going to beat the rower or the, or the fan bike. And not everybody has the skill on the rower to properly execute, uh, like right. you just mentioned. And, the, and the, the fan bike is by default, really. I mean, there's nuances there to be the most efficient on it, but we're varying degrees each side, but nothing glaring like the difference in form can make on a rower. So fan bike all day, every day. I'm on it all the time. And I think we're the best people to ask about this. Not us personally, but our demographic, which is master of none. You talk to a biker, a cyclist, and they're going to say, hands down, spin bike. Well, most people are going to blow out their quads before they can get the full benefit of a big, long bike workout. But a, a trained cyclist can use that machine correctly. You talk to a rower, and they will say, you will never find a better workout than a rower. Most people don't have the skill or stamina to unlock the rower. Yep. Whereas you can just thrash away on a fan bike and get a fantastic workout because you can give body parts breaks as they blow out. So because we're a master of none, I think we can, can conclusively say the best overall workout is the fan bike. But whoever you talk to, their bias will come through on cross-training. That's where you really see it. Yep. If I could own only two pieces of exercise equipment, we're talking cardio, it's without question a nordic track incline trainer and a fan bike me too 100 percent. and there would take no thought on my end that would be it i agree um here's the deal we still have 15 questions left and we've gone over our recording time frame even though our episode's not two hours yet you know because we had know to... people want two hours of q a well they got 50 minutes of just straight fluff to start 40 minutes 95 minutes here sounds good to me it's about how long i'm gonna go running for this weekend on my quality long run so it suits me not that i'm gonna listen to us but it suits me <laughs> suits you what are you gonna listen to everyone not everyone most people know that i like to run to a certain type of music what do you listen to i don't know if i could answer this kirk if we were on a couple's game show i don't know if i would come up with the right answer uh, well, on all recovery efforts, I listen to podcasts, Okay, all of them. So I'm not music on, on any recovery effort. Um, if I do listen to music, which is like once every few months, it's going to be chill, like a Ben Howard, Boney Bear radio, something to keep me like, I don't want up tempo. I want something chill. Um, and then for quality workouts, podcasts go, music goes in and I'm altern an alternative guy. So I will typically throw on like could be today's alternative but i'm really into like the 2000s alternative station right now i've yeah. mentioned a tournament uh station alternative endurance training it mixes anywhere from the 2000s to today um those are my two go-to's i'll throw on old alternative like incubus radio 90s alt rock is about as good as it gets oh dude i love it so when it when it's time to business um yeah i'll go there once in a while, even I got my '90s pop station dialed in. Get mm -hmm. rid of the fluff. Get get you know that sometimes works. But yeah, what about what about you? I guess I, I mean we talked about it, but let's just remind the people. I'm primarily hip hop when I when I work out. It doesn't work for me. I've tried and tried and tried. It works as well as anything I've ever done. So my two most played 
Pandora stations are um, Rick Ross Radio mm-hmm. and Eminem Radio. Oh, Eminem would work for me. My Spotify playlist, I have a, a Rick Ross uh, playlist and then an M playlist that takes up probably 90% of my runs. And then I have a weekend playlist for for like if I really want to chill. Just no, do not get my heart rate up. Just go out and dog it. But on those days, oftentimes I'll just do audiobooks. Yeah. You don't listen to podcasts when you run? I almost never listen to podcasts. I listen to four hours a week editing ours. <laughs> we spend four hours a week recording ours roughly. And outside of that, I kind of like, I'm the chef who doesn't cook at home. Mm. I'm the like, auto mechanic who doesn't take care of his own car. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I got a 35-minute commute to and from work, and I make that every day. And got lots of lots of listening time. I seek it out when I like. There's a topic I want to hear or an episode yep. that interests me. But I'm not faithful to any single podcast, but ours. Of course, you are. You have to be. Um, okay, that's good. Lisa and I probably a shocking amount say the phrase to us or each other. If we were on a, a game show, what would my answer to this be? For some reason, that's a go-to conversation in our relationship. I like that. And I think we do very well. But you and I just would have lost right here because I didn't know what you ran to. If you could only listen to one, one, let's say one Pandora station or one artist, the rest of your life on runs, what would it be? It would be alternative endurance training on Pandora. It's just a good mix. And once you start thumbs up and down in the right stuff, you just get pretty dialed in, as you know. Um, Artist-wise, I don't know. I'm going to have to think on that a little bit. Artist is tough. Like, for me, like, I'm going between, like, it's older, like, old school, like, Incubus, because I just like how it makes me feel, or there's a few songs by Foster the People that just hit me the right Mm -hmm. way. One song called Helena Beat. Helena Beat is going to make me go off. You put that on, really? it's over with. So what about you? What about your one station and one artist, which is an impossible question to answer. It is. My one station, though, would be easy. That would, It's actually not Rick Ross radio. It's I'm not a star radio. It's one song by Rick mm-hmm. Ross that I want that type of song on there. Mm-hmm. So it's not purely a Rick Ross station, but that would be my station. It's just it has the beat, the cadence, and the overall feel that I want for running. But one one artist, I think I would take Eminem because volume of work. You've got like, what, seven or eight albums to pull from. I think yeah, my Eminem Spotify station is 13 hours long. Oh, my goodness. So you can work. I can I can run for weeks without, you know, probably two weeks without hearing the same song. That's smart. More if I'm doing audiobooks on certain days. So that's what mine would be. If I'm choosing Incubus, I got like eight that I like. It'd be yeah. every run. It'd be like the same. Yeah. Good point. That's the problem with choosing one artist. You got to have a, a, a volume of work. Maybe we should end all these episodes with one of these, you know, get to know your spouse questions. So that way, if we ever fall into this game, we'll. Would Jess know this about you? What you run to? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because we share a Pandora. <laughs> Cheating. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I share with my sister, who's in Norway still. Okay. That's more Sweden, not Norway. Sweden. You should know this. All all Nordic countries look alike. They sure do. All of them are I'm the same. Kidding. No, they're not. All right. Well, I, I have one for you next time. 
So remind me that I have a, a couple's game show question for you for next time. Peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat bread bracken. Next time. All right. Tune in tomorrow. Watch them running. Sounds good. What time again? 6 p.m. Central? 6 p.m. Central. Ours will be early, like 7 a.m. probably, maybe even Eastern time. Ugh. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.